The following recording is from the Parramatta Christian Church Pulpit Series. These sermons are freely available at pcc.org.au. Great to have you at Paramount Christian Church. If you are new as well, I just want to let you know that you've joined us at the very end of a sermon series called Spring Cleaning. And really the emphasis of this Spring Cleaning series has been to declutter. We've been thinking about decluttering spiritual and emotional junk from our lives. Why? In order to be filled with more of God. And so today as we conclude this series. Uh, We're going to do something a bit different in our time together. It's going to be a good different, not a weird different, I promise. Good different. Uh, First, we're going to come around the world just for about 15 minutes or so. It's going to be a shorter message, a sermonette, which is a short sermon, really intended to inspire desire. And so that's what I'm about up here this morning, just inspiring desire for more of God. We've been thinking about decluttering, decluttering, decluttering. Why? to be filled. Remember Jesus' parable about sweeping the house clean. The implication of that parable was, you know, you've swept it clean. That's great. But when are you going to fill it? When are you going to fill it with the things of God, the furniture of God, so to speak? And so today is Filling Sunday. And so that's the message. And then after that, we're going to have a time of extended worship and ministry time where I'm going to call for a response. All good? So that's the plan. Short message, extended worship time. So if you've got your Bibles, please go ahead and find those. And turn to a paragraph that one ancient preacher said deserves, because of its worth, to be cast in letters of pure gold. What is this paragraph, this passage? Well, it's found in the Gospel of John, John chapter 7, verses 37 through 39. John 7, 37 through 39. If you don't have a Bible, that's fine. The references are going to be on the screen for you. If you don't own a Bible... That's okay. You can grab a Bible on your way out of church this morning. We've got gift Bibles for you. And so be our guest. That's our gift to you. You can grab one of those Bibles. Okay, here's the text. These words that deserve to be put in letters of pure gold. Verse 37. On the last and greatest day of the festival, he's talking about here the festival of tabernacles. There's a A lot of significant things that we could draw out, but we don't have time to get into it this morning. That's for another sermon. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood up and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. We're going to be thinking about Jesus' great invitation this morning as we conclude our series. Verse 38. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Because of Jesus' invitation in verse 37, I've entitled this message, The Greatest Invitation. Not the greatest showman, but the greatest invitation invitation. And I want to highlight two things about Jesus' great invitation here made in verse 37. First, it's nature, and secondly, it's promise. All right, so we're going to be moving quite quickly. So if you are taking notes, your pen might kind of burn out or something because we're going quite fast. It's nature, that is the nature of Jesus' invitation. And secondly, the promise, this incredible promise attached to Jesus' invitation. So firstly, the nature of his invitation, or so I say, What kind of invitation is this? Or to make it more personal to you, what kind of invitation is Jesus offering you 
this morning? Well, I want to highlight two things. Firstly, it's a large-hearted or inclusive invitation. Notice Jesus' words. He says in verse 37, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Of course, the emphasis is on the word because I've made it bold. Anyone. We need to be grateful, church, and thankful that Jesus doesn't say here, let the religious come to me and drink. Or let the moral or let the wise, or the gifted, or the intelligent, or those people from that particular nation, or with that ethnicity. No, no, no. He says, let anyone come to me, meaning whether you're rich or poor, male or female, moral or immoral, religious or irreligious, intelligent or simple, whether you're white Black, red, yellow, it doesn't really matter. You can come, and even pommies can come. We're included in this invitation. He says, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. That includes you. That includes you. Church, what I personally find remarkable about Jesus' large-hearted invitation here is what he mentions, Jesus mentions in verse 19. The context is this. He's talking to a group of religious leaders, and they want to kill him. And Jesus turns to them and says, why do you want to kill me? Now, the remarkable thing is, when Jesus makes this invitation in verse 37, these religious guys were still in the earshot. They were in his presence. And so Jesus, remarkably, is extending this large-hearted, inclusive invitation to them as well. He doesn't say, let anyone, just excluding those guys who want my blood. No, no, even you, if you acknowledge your need, if you see your fallenness, your guilt, you too, even those, even you who want my blood, can come to me as well, which is incredible. In other words, Jesus came not to reject, or they rejected him. He came to receive them. They wanted to kill him, but he didn't come to kill them. No, no, no. He came to be killed for them and also for us. Because, of course, the implication from this is that it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you've become. It doesn't matter what you've previously thought or believed or even said about Jesus, this invitation is for you. It's for you. It's large-hearted. It's inclusive. And so that's the first thing about the nature of Jesus' invitation. Secondly, it's also warm-hearted. That is, it's affectionate. It's impassioned. Church, there is a difference, actually a big difference, between being inclusive and wanting to be inclusive. Some of you know this from experience. You know, Just think about a past party that you had or a function, or even your wedding reception. You know, you had to, to keep your parents happy, happy likely, to invite him or her or them. You had to be inclusive. But you know what? You didn't really want them at your party who's with me. I mean, I remember at my wedding reception, people congratulating me, kissing me. I'd never met them before. And I've never seen them since. Like, seriously, if it was down to me, they wouldn't have been at my wedding reception. But Graham paid, so, you know, he got the prerogative. He got to choose his friends uh, to come to my party. It's possible to be inclusive but not wanting to be inclusive. Well, this is not the nature of Jesus' invitation here. He's being inclusive, yes, but impassioned as well. How do we know? Well, verse 37, Jesus stands up. You've got to picture the Savior, Jesus, standing up at the, the temple area in the midst of a large crowd And they were waiting for the day Messiah would come, the one who would fulfill the great feast of tabernacles. It commemorated God's faithfulness and looked forward to the coming Messiah. And here's Jesus. He stands up on the last and greatest day, and he says, 
if anyone, let anyone come to, not to a priest or religion, no, come to me and I will give you living water. Here Jesus is being warm-hearted and passionate because he said it by shouting. He didn't say, you know, if you want to come, you can come if you want. But it's up to you. No, he's shouting. Shout, come to me. Come to me. You're thirsty. Everything else in this life will leave you high and dry, but I will satisfy you. Why shouting? Why did he shout? Because he didn't have a microphone? No, no, no. Because he really wanted them to come to him. That's the point. He really wants you. Make it personal. He really wants you. You're sitting there, actually. I just sensed in my spirit. When I said that, some of you said to yourself, no, not me. That is a lie. He wants you. He wants you. And so this invitation, the nature of it, it's large-hearted. That is, you're included. It's for you. But more importantly, it's warm-hearted. He wants you. He wants you. He wants you. He wants you. So in about five, seven minutes, when we come to our worship time, I want you, I encourage you to keep the nature of Jesus' invitation in mind, in heart. It's for you and he wants you. Secondly, secondly, it's promise. Jesus makes this invitation, but there's a wonderful promise attached to it. And really the question we need to ask ourselves is, okay, this invitation is large-hearted, it's warm-hearted, but what will actually happen in my life if I come to Christ, well, Jesus highlights it for us in verse 38. He attaches a wonderful promise to his invitation. He says these words, whoever believes in me, notice he's being inclusive again, whoever, whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, here's the promise, rivers of living water will flow from within. Did you catch that? Rivers of, not might, but will. Rivers of living water. Now, hands up if you think that sounds pretty good. Thanks, Hill. Okay, yeah, yeah, slowly coming, slowly coming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rivers of living water. I mean, surely we all want to experience whatever Jesus is talking about here. And what is he talking about? Well, verse 39, John does us a favor, and he teases this out for us. Because he explains in verse 39, by this he meant, right? by this, this, this promise, this wonderful promise attached to this invitation of living water, rivers of living water, by this he meant the Spirit. The Spirit. The third person of the Trinity, the blessed Holy Spirit, whom those who believed in him, we'll come back to that whole belief thing in just a moment, in him were later to receive and of course, they did receive this gift, this promise, on the day of Pentecost. Pentecost has been, it's gone, it's happened, which means, here's the good news, we are this side of Pentecost, which means we all today, right here, right now, can experience God's Spirit. We can experience, all of us, none are to be excluded from this, God's rivers of living water. This is the promise attached to Jesus' invitation. Do you realize, church, what Jesus is actually saying here, what he's promising. He's promising you, he's promising me something that no one or no thing in this world can actually give us. And that is the very presence of God. I think sometimes we use that expression, presence of God, quite frivolously, like, you know, kind of lightly. And, and yet we think about God, the one who created all things, the spirit who hovered over the waters, the emptiness, the, the void space. And at God's word, the spirit brought animation and creativity and life to the universe. And here's Jesus saying, you can be filled with him. 
the life-giving, life-sustaining, life-satisfying, life-renewing, life-transforming Holy Spirit and filled, listen to me, to such a degree, I need to take a breath here because I'm moving quick too, to such a degree that we become, listen, fountains of life and love. Because notice what Jesus says. The promise is rivers of living water not flowing into you, but from you which means we are to be filled to such a degree that we overflow with the Spirit of God. We overflow with the life of Christ. Amen? And so this is the wonderful, wonderful promise attached to this invitation, and I trust and I pray that we would all receive more of Him, the Holy Spirit, this morning. Now, question. This is a pivotal question. How do we actually receive this gift? How do we receive the promised Holy Spirit, these rivers of living water? Well, again, Jesus tells us, verse 38, right at the beginning there, he says, whoever, what's the word? You can participate, it's okay. (laughs) Believes, whoever believes, what does that mean? Well, let's continue, verse 39. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. And so we receive the promise the rivers of living water, by believing. But what does that mean? What does it mean to believe? Does it mean just cognition, stuff going on upstairs? Yeah, I kind of give a mental assent to Christ. Well, yeah, that's included, but so much more is included in this rich word, belief. The actual word, the Greek word, is pistuo, and it means many things, but I want to highlight two. It means, firstly, abandonment. It means that you place complete confidence in someone or something. For example, this might not be the best example, but the only one I could think of. When you came into church this morning, you abandoned yourself to your seat. Right? You didn't think just before you sat down, uh, I wonder whether it's going to hold my weight. Right? You, you placed your confidence in the chair. You abandoned yourself to it, and thankfully, it did hold your weight. The same applies here, pustuo. When we come to Christ, there is to be no doubt. Uh, Will he receive me? Will he not? No, no, no. His promise is come, come, come. And you abandon yourself to him. You trust in him. You take all your clutter. We've been thinking about that. All the peas that Hillary has highlighted, the clutter of pursuits and pain and power and the other peas I can't remember. You take them to him to receive life and the promise. And so that's what pustuo means. But notice... There is a precondition. There's a prior step because it's one thing to trust, but it's another thing to, secondly, thirst. Thirst. That is, acknowledge your need. (laughs) You'll never go to Christ if you don't see and discern your need. If you're not thirsty, why would you go to him to have your thirst quenched? But when you see, look, I've tried everything, nothing satisfies this raging thirst within me. Because this thirst is because there's this infinite hole in my heart that only the infinite love of God can fill. Only he can fill. And so when you thirst and you realize your need, then you will come to Christ and abandon yourself to him. And I pray that we'll all do just that in just a minute. All right, so that's what it means to believe. And when we believe this way, pistuo, we will receive this wonderful promise attached to Jesus' invitation. Now, lastly, How can we be certain, church? How can we be sure that when we actually come to Christ this morning, respond to his invitation, that he will stick to his promise? How can we be sure? How can we be certain? Well, let's go back to the text because the answer's there. In verse 39, John adds this element, and it's a very important point that he makes. 
He says, by this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Okay. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given. Why? Since Jesus had not yet been, what's the word? Glorified. Glorified. Now, you're sitting there thinking, what's the connection? Well, there's a profound connection here. There's a profound connection, and it's this. In John's Gospel, often when he talks about Jesus' glory being glorified, the need for him to receive glory, he's referring to his death. Not always, but sometimes he connects Jesus' glory, glorification with his death on a cross. For example, if you just flick a few pages on to John chapter 17, this is the night before the crucifixion, and Jesus prays in the presence of his disciples, this high priestly prayer, and he prays to his father this way. He says, Father, Father, the hour has come. Every single time in John's gospel, Jesus says, hour, hour, seven times, hour, hour, hour. Every single time, he's referring to his cross. He's referring to the crucifixion. So you can replace, switch the word hour with cross. And so let's read it again. He says, Father, the cross has come. It's coming tomorrow. I'm going to be crucified. And notice what he adds. He says, glorify your son that your son may glorify you. You see, he's connecting his cross with glory, his glorification, receiving glory from the Father. In other words, he's praying this, Father, tomorrow I'm going to offer myself on the cross for the sins of your people, vile people, and I'm going to bear their penalty upon myself. Lord, would you receive my offering? Church, listen to me. The reason why we can be absolutely sure and guaranteed that Jesus will stick to this promise, come to me and rivers of living water will flow from within you, is because he had to go to the cross to secure that promise for you, to win that promise for you, to use the imagery of thirsting because Jesus makes this incredible invitation, thirst, thirst, thirst. What did he say on the cross? Seven statements, and one was what? I thirst. I thirst. I thirst. Why? Why did he say that? I thirst. Yes, because he was fully human, yeah, and he was literally actually thirsting. But there's something more deep, more profound than that going on in the heart of Christ. He was thirsting. Why? Because we deserve to thirst for all eternity because of our sin. We deserve to be shut out from God, to be dissatisfied in hell forever. And yet Jesus here on the cross is saying, I thirst. He's taking your guilt my guilt, all your junk, all your clutter upon himself, saying, I thirst. Why? So that when we believe in him, trust in him, abandon ourselves to him, we would have our soul's thirst quenched for all eternity. And so the reason why we can drink is because he thirsts. He thirsts. And this is the assurance that when we come to him, he will stick to his promise because he went to the tree to set us free. How about we stand, church? I'm going to ask the music team to jump up, worship team. We've got time. We've got time just to wait on God. We, intentionally, we wanted to do this at the end of this series so that we could all respond to Christ, this wonderful invitation, the greatest invitation. That no matter where you are on your journey, you can come to Christ, the living waters, the one who promises you this soul-satisfying drink, the Holy Spirit. 
you know, you might be quite new to Christianity and maybe just maybe you're thinking, I'm not sure if I've crossed the line, if I've really given my life to Christ, really abandoned myself to Him, trusted Him. Well, today's the day, a wonderful, perfect opportunity for you to do that, to actually respond to Jesus. You're responding to Him. You're not responding to me. You're not responding to an elder. You're not responding to the church. You're responding to Jesus this morning. He said, you come to me because I came for you. I want you. Maybe you're a seasoned believer. You've been a Christian for some time, but maybe you're a little dry. Well, the invitation is for all of us. It's for you too. Because interestingly, this invitation is in the present tense, which means that we're to continually come to Christ with our thirst, you know, for Him to deal with our clutter, for Him to renew us and refresh us. And so the invitation includes you and me as well. And lastly, maybe you're here today and you've been hearing what I've been saying and really the thought of you coming to Christ kind of scares you at the moment. You're like, I just, I'm not ready for that. And if that's you, that's okay. It's okay. We, we, we respect your questions and your doubts and your concerns and we just want to extend the invitation as a church just to stick around at PCC especially throughout December because we're going to be doing a new series, a Christmas series called Jesus More Than a Baby where we're going to be exploring and investigating his identity and his claims and his character. And I trust you'll find that really, really helpful. Okay, so we're going to worship. I'm going to hand you over to Jeff and then we're going to respond after that.